0: Hello and welcome to my podcast, sponsored by Lono Coffee. Visit lonocoffee.com. Use promo code COFFEE2020 for a discount. Today, I talk with ESPN's David Newton about Ron Rivera and facing his former team, the Carolina Panthers. What do the people in Carolina still think about Rivera? We'll get some information on some of the other Panthers. Teddy Bridgewater, Christian McCaffrey. Plus, David provides insight into Marty Herney, who was fired as the Panthers' GM this week, but who, who, as we all know, has strong ties to Ron Rivera. Really good stuff from David as usual. And I answered your questions for a mailbag. Heavy on Dwayne Haskins and the GM situation. You can follow David on Twitter at DNewtonESPN. You can read my work on ESPN.com. I look forward to getting back to writing about games. Before I share my conversation with David, I wanted to do the mailbag first. Not calling it a therapy session. They've won four in a row. It's not a Thursday. But this is kind of a therapy session, given some of the stuff that's happened. So let's get to it. One thing I do want to say, I'm not ignoring the Daniel Snyder ownership situation. But I didn't get any questions on that. It's very complicated. I've written about it. You can read it on ESPN.com. Anyway, let's get to the questions. From TJ. Wants to know, after what appears to be a second COVID violation and Ron's drive to culture change... Can we now move on from Dwayne Haskins? Can we now question his maturity? Well, TJ, I mean, many have been doing so for a while in terms of questioning the maturity. I want to stress, nobody said he's a bad kid. They have always just wanted him to take a more mature, professional approach. Two staffs now have wanted to do that. As a few people at the organization and some who have left have told me, it's not just the two head coaches who have had question him. It's all the others who have worked with him. They were talking about a, a number of coaches that have, have wanted him to be this way. They've always wanted to do more preparation. Even now, while I'm told he's doing more, it's at maybe 70% of the level they'd like it to be. Better, but not there. And it will take a long time for it to happen with him once he does get to that point. Having a party with strippers is not a strike against a young man, as especially as a young man who's a professional football player, professional athlete, or whatever. Doing it in a setting where you're not wearing a mask in a pandemic while in a playoff push is not a good look. If this were a one-off, that would be one thing, but they'll lump it in with other transgressions. They like Trust me, a lot of people over there were upset and disappointed, and one person told me, and sad. The earlier fine for violating COVID protocol came when he made a reservation for a family friend at the team hotel the night before a game. There was a scene in the locker room after the Baltimore game where numerous people said he was basically celebrating the fact that he threw for more than 300 yards. Then you have this situation. It all adds up. I also know there's some people there who I'm going to guess after after all this stuff, who are going to probably feel that it's probably best for him to get out of this area and not be surrounded by all these family and friends and maybe be able to get into a fresh into better habits somewhere else. Again, not a bad kid. I don't think he's doing anything wrong or illegal out there. It's just that they want him to be more mature and that's something they've said for a while. I don't like saying this stuff because I like the kid, but it is what you hear and that's what I want to tell you. All right, next one. From Patrick Gallagher said, John, isn't it appropriate to cut Haskins or at a minimum suspend him for the season for an immature breach of COVID protocol? I get the impression that the kid doesn't get it, doesn't understand responsibility of QB and a professional. Well, I kind of answered some of this before, but my understanding is that as of now, they know they might need him against Carolina. I was told there's some optimism regarding Alex Smith and, and you know, with his strain right calf, but we really won't know that until later in the week. If he practices and then how his calf responds after he does. I do think if Smith and Kyle Allen were healthy and this had happened, then Haskins would be gone or at the least suspended. I also think this will be the end for him in Washington. He's a captain, and while I'm sure he's not the only player to have gone out and put themselves in a bad situation, he is supposed to be a leader. He's playing a premium position, and again, playoff push. Contrast what we've learned about him with what we know about Chase Young. I was told after the Detroit game, where after, remember, he had that 15-yard on sportsman-like conduct penalty that led to the game-winning the game winning field goal. Before he spoke to the media, somebody with the team tried to make him feel better by reminding him how he was going to have a long career. Young snapped. He got pissed and yelled that he was sick of people saying that to him. And his comment was, we lost. He started banging the wall. That's the kind of guy you need to build around. Cortez Watkins wants to know, do you think if they bring in the former Panthers GM Marty Herney, that there's a chance Kyle Smith will still want to stay on as VP of player personnel. When did the rift between him and Ron um, develop? And he said, sorry, I know it's two questions. That's fine, Cortez. It all is the same stuff. It's kind of the same answer. All right, anyway, I don't think he'd want to stay on. I and Again, a lot of that's going to depend on is there somewhere else to go to? If he doesn't have anything else to go to, he'll make it work. I mean, based on what people have told me about Kyle and my, my limited dealings with him, I don't think that it'd be, I, don't, I think he could make that work. I don't think that'd be an ideal situation that where he'd want to definitely stay. Doesn't mean to leave, because again, you have to have somewhere to land. But if there's a chance to leave, yeah, I think that would be the option. Um, Dave and I are going to discuss this in a minute about Marty Herney, and based on what, what he says, it wouldn't be surprising to see Marty Herney join the team. But one thing I was told to keep in mind, in Carolina, he was not working under Rivera. Here he would be. Would he be okay with that? Also, Rob Rogers, who is basically his assistant as a cap guy, was an assistant cap guy in Carolina, is now the main one here, has more power than he did with Carolina. Would Herney be okay with that? And would Rogers be okay with that? Agents, when, when it was in Carolina, agents knew that they could call Herney to get deals done. Multiple people have told me that. So if he was the one doing deals, right now it would be up to Rogers. And so I think that's an interesting dynamic to add to this. I'm not saying it can or won't happen, and the speculation makes sense. And again, David will lay out some reasons why maybe it would happen. But I am saying there are some caveats attached to it. So don't assume it's going to happen, um, even though his name will come up. As for the rift, I don't think there is a rift. I said this last week, and I'll say it again. I've heard that they get along, and the process worked well this offseason. Um, I think one of the things that's been difficult is that I don't think, you know, it's hard in the building because Rivera missed a lot of time when he was out getting cancer treatments. And then, you know, now even now, it's hard to really be around him because they're limiting exposure and being in groups and all that. So I don't know that how much they've really dealt with one another throughout the season, but I don't, I have never gotten the sense that there's really a rift. And again, I think they get along well. I do believe it's clear that Rivera likes guys around him that he's comfortable with and is known for a long time. That's why there are 12 coaches from Carolina on this staff. I do wonder if Smith being a holdover from, a pre, from previous regimes is an issue. I don't know that, but I do wonder, and I think other people wonder that too, because this is an odd, I think a lot of people are confused by what's going on. Um, he's also relatively young for the position, so there's some who wonder if Rivera maybe would like to have someone come in, almost mentor him for a couple years. Keep in mind, though, and I said this last week, Smith's dad is former GM AJ Smith. That's his mentor. So if they don't promote Smith or bring someone else in above him, then yes, I could see him leaving. Not a guarantee, but I certainly think that there would be um, some pursuing of other jobs. Jeff Weinbarger wants to know, do QBs get called out in the film sessions for hitting their checkdowns rather than an open receiver on another route? From an outsider, this, this seems to be nothing but a checkdown offense. Rarely is a pass thrown over 15 to 20 yards. All right, Jeff. Yes, if there are plays they're not seeing downfield, then absolutely they will. Because sometimes you ask coaches about it and say, "Yeah, he's got to see this. He's got to see that." I know that stuff gets said in meetings. So yeah, it does get talked about. A lot of that's a mindset. Some guys want to drive the ball. Others are going to be the old "take your take a profit" um, philosophy. You can see missed opportunities when you rewatch the games on the All Twenty Two. It's sometimes impossible to get a feel for this when just watching the TV broadcast. It's very frustrating. I know against Pittsburgh, for example, Alex Smith checked down a lot. When I rewatched watched the game, there wasn't anything he was really passing up. Maybe one or two plays, but it wasn't more than that. Sunday, they wanted Haskins to dump off on the play where he threw a second pick. That would have been the smart throw. But there were a couple times Sunday as well where if Haskins had been just a bit more patient, he would have had a receiver breaking inside for a 15-20 yard gain off a good throw, of course. So yeah, there is a balance. I also think, like in Alex Smith's case, first of all, that's he's been a guy who's thrown underneath a lot throughout his career. I also think you're operating behind a line where Cornelius Lucas, Wes Schweitzer, it's not going to be the strongest left side of a line in the NFL. So I think sometimes by getting rid of the ball, you're also protecting the quarterback and moving the chains. So there is a, a But again, there is a balance there, and I'm not saying it's always the right way. I do think, though, in one case, it's a mindset. and Another one, I think it's got to be with Haskins. I think sometimes he's got to trust and be more patient and trust what he sees. Um, here's a little stat for you, though, Jeff. Washington ranks 24th in the number of pass attempts of throws 15 yards or more through the air. They rank 28th in completion completion percentage on those throws. That's not good. All right, Strick9 wants to know, How likely do you think it is that they go one more year with the same QB room if Alex wants to continue? Very unlikely. That's a question mark. Well, I think think it's highly, highly, I highly, highly doubt that they go with the same QB room, and I don't think, and I didn't think that even before this Dwayne Haskins situation developed. We can all admire Alex Smith, and we all know they need more help on offense around him or whomever. Maybe after a year and going in the offseason, he can elevate his game a bit. I love what he adds from a leadership standpoint, but I definitely think they will probably, well, I definitely see a. I would definitely see if you could upgrade with a veteran. If not, then you're going to look in the draft, and then maybe you'd want him around in that situation. I have, a, And I don't know if Alex Smith is going to want to come back or not. He, it may be you get to the point where if they end up winning a division title, he might just say, listen, that's a wrap. This is a great ending for me, and I'm ready to go off now. I proved a point. I don't know. I have a feeling that they're going to see, this team is going to see this division as highly winnable for the foreseeable future. Would you entrust a rookie with that or try to go pursue another veteran if, again, if they move on from Smith? Of course, that's a general thought because we don't even know who's going to be available or what it would cost. But the point is, I don't see any way this room is the same. Luke Erfman wants to know, and this is the last one, folks, is there concern with all the talent on the D-line to afford all of them in the coming years? Well, hi, Luke. Concern? I can't say I've had those conversations with the right people just yet, but I would definitely say everybody knows the situation. To help, I would give Jonathan Allen an extension this off season, even though they could keep him around in an option year. And I do believe they're going to be definite. I definitely believe they're going to be talks about an extension based on what I know. When when will that happen? I don't know. Will they get it done? I don't know. But they, you, I would be shocked if, based on what I know, that they don't start negotiations for an extension this off season. I suppose the good thing is that they're not all up at the same time. So the fact that they were all first round picks helps in this case. If one of them had been a lower-round pick, they might be up at the same time. And I'm talking about the top four guys. That said, Tim Settle was a fifth-round pick and is capable of starting for a lot of teams. He's up after 2021. That's also when Deron Payne is up, though they would have the chance to put an option year with him. It's why it's not out of the question they could trade one of them or, or, or why they might need to let Ryan Kerrigan walk after the season and develop younger and cheaper ends behind Sweat and Young. It will be a situation worth watching. And again, with Kerrigan's situation, I don't know what's going to happen there. But, you know, at one point this year, it certainly looked like he would be gone. It will be a situation worth watching because this is an absolute strength of the team. Washington's cap situation is good moving forward, but that would be a lot to invest in one position. Well, that's it from me after this break. I'll be back with ESPN's David Newton. Would Marty Herney be a good GM in Washington? It is almost that time when you put your name in a grid and hope that your box hits the final score. But you don't have to wait until February to start winning. With Boxes, you can play box pools every day for every game. Boxes is completely free to play and you can win big. Washington football fans who download the app from the App Store or go to boxes.com, that's B O X I Z dot com, and use our code KIME20. Can enter our contest where the lucky winner with the final score of the Carolina Washington game will receive $100. We'll have new games every week and incredible prizes in the playoffs and for the big game that will include tickets to games next year when fans can finally return in 2021. So go to boxes.com for more information or download the app now. B O X I Z. Use the code KIME20 when you sign up and when you enter our contest for the Washington Carolina game. It's free for you and your friends to get in and win boxes. It's anyone's game. Now i I welcome back David Newton. David, I think you've been on the show as much as anybody over the last year. I owe you some, you're a coffee drinker.
1: I like coffee. I like beer. I'll, I'll drink whatever you give me. Right.
0: Well, I'll send you some low no coffee. They're one of our sponsors. You'll enjoy it. And, and we'll get you taken care of. How's that? Um, that sounds anyway, good. I, but I do appreciate you coming on. Cause you're, You've got a lot of insight into Ron Rivera, and obviously, the Washington plays the Panthers this week. Let's start with Rivera because this is a big game, and he tried to downplay it a little bit, saying they have bigger things to worry about. But you know what he meant there. What does this mean? What do you think this game means to him? Um, first of all,
1: well, I believe it is important to him because Charlotte was where he got his first chance to be a head coach. Um, this is where he thought he would finish his career. I mean, his plan he said early in his career that. He wanted to coach what another ten years or so, and and then retire and, and enjoy retirement. Because a lot of coaches don't do that. And, and Ron, w- I think, was pretty committed to that. So when he got fired, that had to, that I think that re-energized him to a way and got him fired up and wanted to reprove himself all over again. But uh, the the outpouring of support he got when he went through the treatment for cancer. Um, to the support he had throughout his career. I mean, the Super Bowl year, the year—I mean, the year that his house caught on fire. That was in what 2000. Uh, gosh, was it 14? I think when they were getting ready for the uh, playoff run there, when they had a season similar to what you guys are having there, where they won a division with a right. losing record, and he, his house caught on fire. And so people were often to let him live with them, you know, and his family, because he he had to move out of his house for a while. And that's one story after another. I mean, he really. Uh, endeared himself to this community, to the city, and I think the the Carolinas in general.
0: Are you surprised? Uh, listen, this is still a six and eight team, so I don't want to oversell where they're at. But where they came from, three and thirteen, all the mess in the offseason, two and seven. Any surprised you that he has them where they're at?
1: Not at all, because I mean the division is really kind of messed up anyway, kind of like it was in the in the South back in two thousand fourteen. I mean nobody had a winning record and and uh so, and Ron kept the team motivated by by talking about how we're still relevant we we're, we're still a team that can make the playoffs and you know when they did they actually won a game i mean they they beat Arizona in the playoffs and went out i thought they played Seattle a decent game but that was just a really good Seattle team and it was just too tough to think they would win out there but um i think that experience taught him a lot uh, about himself about um just just staying focused on one game at a time I mean you know your coaches preach about one game at a time all all the time but when you're in a situation like this they they really do matter every single one I mean that tie Philadelphia had that that's where Carolina was that tie was the difference between them you know making the playoffs and winning the division and not making it so uh every every snap everything is important and he learned a lot that year so I I'm not surprised at all. I I think with the quarterback situation, maybe that's a little bit surprising because you've been so unstable there, at least at Carolina. When they were losing, they had Cam Newton, and he was you know headed the next year to be an MVP of the league. So I think that's the biggest difference in how he's kind of held that position together.
0: How is he viewed, perceived in Carolina these days?
1: Uh, again, I think he was loved by a lot of people. Um, when, when he was fired, uh, there was a lot of people that felt like he – probably, you know, should have been given a chance to continue because injuries, and he, he said it best when he left, he said it all started with the injuries of the quarterback because when Cam Newton was hurt in 2018, I mean, they were 6-2 and two midway point in the season. Cam's playing better than his MVP season, and then it just went downhill from there I and mean, never got got back, and they just never had a star quarterback. So uh, a lot of that had to do with it. He went through the coaching change. He went through the general manager change. I mean, really, he had, Marty Herney was – there. He was fired. He was back there. Dave Gettleman, a couple of drafts Gettleman had while Gettleman played a big role in getting the Panthers to the Super Bowl and kind of finishing what Marty had started. He had a couple of bad drafts that left him in a bad situation. So, um, you know, and some people I'm sure thought, you know, hey, it's time for him to move on. Nine years, you, you, you kind of played out your role here and it's time to go see what you can do somewhere else and see what somebody else can do in here. But uh, I, I think Ron probably was the, one of the most liked coaches, if not the most light
0: they've ever had here. Wow. And one of the things that I think is there are a couple of things that jumped out here, that, and we talked about this on the Zoom video that's going to be on the site, um, but transparency, open-door policy. I'm assuming that doesn't surprise you that, that that has mattered to players here.
1: Not at all. I, I, I'm, I hope I get the date right. I think it was 2013. They were one and three. Um, lots of rumors going around about him fired. It may have been the next year. But anyway, Ron just felt like there was a disconnect between himself and the locker room. And so he actually moved out of his, you know, nice big office upstairs and took a small, pretty, almost like closet-like little office downstairs next to the locker room. and started spending a lot of time in there. And uh, players, that open-door policy, I'm sure he's got there, they would – feel free to walk in and talk to him. And he'd see him roaming through the locker room. We'd see him during our open locker room period, roaming through there and talking to players. And he really built a relationship with players that I think played a big role if in turning that team around and making the playoffs and going on that run of three straight NFC South titles.
0: And and, and there are there are definitely examples from here of, of players taking advantage of the open door policy, going to talk to them about whatever issue they might have, and I think feeling better after they come out. And I think they do genuinely like playing for him. And, you know, so I think that's absolutely helped this franchise. Um, what do you think his legacy is there? Probably
1: Cam Newton and, the, and getting to the Super Bowl. That that 2015 season was magical. And they were 15-1 and in regular season. You know, steamrolled through the playoffs. And Cam, the MVP, it was – I mean, they should have lost the one game they lost. I mean, it was – Literally the week around round this time around Christmas, and Cam had just had his, you know, girlfriend had had a baby, and I think they were feeling a little full of himself, and went to Atlanta and lost. Um, but but Ron regathered everybody, got them focused, ready for the playoffs, and. You know, they they just didn't play well in the Super Bowl. Cam didn't play well there, but I, I think that, those are Cam's going to be a guy he's going to be connected to, bringing him into the league. And, um, all he, I just think the community service too, that he all he did, not just him, but his, his players were really active in the community. I mean, Ron was with the animal um, dogs. He loved dogs and probably he still got a couple of dogs that he probably brought from Charlotte to there. And he, he just been, he was just real involved. He got out amongst the people. And I, I think that kind of endeared him to a lot of people. And, and again, winning and, and making the playoffs and making the Super Bowl makes you even more popular.
0: And then, you know, cause he did have a few losing seasons in there as well. And, you know, how much do you think, that was on him or the situation. You brought the quarterback with Cam. Usually, it's going to come back to that for most coaches. Um, but you know, what, how did you process like his? You know, there was I think it was four winning seasons or four playoffs. Uh-huh. Was it three or three or four winning seasons? I forget right off the top of my head. So how do you process that? His just the tenure in general from a on-field standpoint.
1: Well, remember he took over a team in 2011 with that it was dreadful. Right. Dreadful and he started a rookie quarterback in Cam Newton right off the bat. They committed to him, and they won, what, six games that year, then seven games the next year. What they really did, though, was at the end of each of those years, they played really well. His December record was really impressive those first four or five years, and so they they built some confidence for the next year, and then again that 2013 season when things took off. So, yeah, yeah. they didn't have the the winning records at the end, and 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 I, you can blame a little bit for not having like a better backup quarterback. But I mean, who's really got us. Not many teams have that kind right. of quarterback could carry you that far. And right. uh, the fact that they actually in two thousand, uh, I think nineteen, actually went on with a five game winning streak with Kyle oh, Allen, which that was pretty you know, good. That blew us all away. So uh, yeah, I. I I think he did what he could with what he had at that point. Yeah. But you, you got to remember, he lost a lot of really good coaches. I mean, yeah. he lost two different – you see what he's doing in Buffalo. And then, you know, the next year he lost his defensive coordinator for a second straight year. And and those people took a few people away from his staff. And like any good team, when you start picking away at that staff, you're going to weaken it.
0: And, you know, it's funny because I do remember talking to him that I think he felt better when he started going back and calling plays in the defense – after he lost Steve Wilkes because he felt like he had Wilkes or the McDermott he could trust. And just, you know, I think he got away from some of that. But speaking of ex-Panthers who are free and maybe might go somewhere else, Marty Herney just became free. (laughs) What do you think – I mean, what was their relationship like? And could you foresee him maybe coming to Washington eventually?
1: Well, Marty's never actually – admitted to this on the record but there are those that uh, will tell you that he pretty much fell on the s- sword back in 2012 because i, I think jerry richard was pretty fed up they'd had that losing year the first year under him and they start off really bad in 2012 and marty marty they it'd go down he was fired but I-, I think he kind of took the sword and, and said here i'll step away because i really believe in ron and see where we can get going there and and ron was probably the happiest person when they brought him back. That was as unusual to have a general manager get fired and then be brought back after you've gone to a Super Bowl. So um, I think that showed the kind of confidence in relationship. They had a really good working relationship. They were on the same page about their philosophy and what they wanted to do. It's really interesting here. David Tepper kind of referred to, to Marty as the old school. I think Marty's been a great evaluator. I mean, hes you look at his first-round picks, they're pretty pretty strong and helped the, the Panthers get to where they were as far as 2015 big time. And so I, I, I think if they, he would go there, it would not surprise me at all because I think they like each other that much. And I think that would be a really good working relationship where um, it would almost be like having
0: co-general managers in a lot of ways. And I was going to ask you too, guys. And that's what you never know what somebody's relationship is, especially in those situations. But you felt like they got along pretty well.
1: Oh, gosh. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Ron, uh, he, he probably would, you know, uh, I guess Marty might have been like his second father in a lot of ways, just the way they treated each other. I mean, it was really a, a respect on both sides for each other and what they could do. I mean, how many GMs do you ever know that would just pretty much? take the sword for, for the head coach. He believed, Marty believed in Ron that much. And I think in the end,
0: when he came back, Ron believed in Marty that much. And obviously M- Marty used to be one of us, a, a sports writer. I mean, it's yeah. it's still kind of funny to think where he was and where he went to. And I've never met him. I don't know him. Um, but you know, do you, if, if Washington goes out in the hires him, would you think that's a good move? No,
1: I, I, you build a team through the draft um i know david tepper thinks they need a guy that's going to be stronger with data and analytics but talent's what wins games and the other stuff's pretty cool but you have a gm that's going to bring in and not make huge mistakes in the draft you can build a pretty strong roster and i think that marty herney would do that i think he learned a lot um, after he stepped away from the game for about four or five years um, watching Dave Gellman and some of the things he did. And, yeah, Martin will be the first to say, yeah, I was too loyal to some of my players and gave uh, people like D'Angelo Williams and Jonathan Stewart and those guys big contracts that he probably shouldn't have that got him in a really bad situation financially against the cap. So um, he learned a lot, and I thought when he came back, he did a pretty good job of, of reestablishing. And you look at the current roster, I mean, I know a lot of Rivera players are gone now, but, you know, some of the stars like Christian McCaffrey and D.J. Moore and uh, – Gosh, I mean, just down the line, a lot of the offensive linemen, um, Shaq Thompson, their, their linebacker, they're, they're all still here. And those were those were all draft picks by Marty Herney.
0: And in Washington has actually done a good job with the draft. So I've just their scouting staff has been pretty good. So i will be curious to see if he if and I'm pretty sure they're going to hire a GM. So at some point, I think this is something's going to happen. Yeah. And Ron, as you know, with Ron Rivera, seems to be somebody who wants people he can trust. I think there's like 12 ex-panther coaches on this staff exactly why not bring the
1: gm too and remember look at marty's tree it's not big or but brandon bean is at buffalo right now look at what right. he's done at buffalo that's been impressive a lot of people laugh and say well, why do we let brandon bean get away and why did not we just hire him well you know marty's the guy that, that brandon learned under so uh, you know i think marty's a pretty bright guy and kinda of, he get maybe give some credibility to us as sports writers about you can go from sports writers to a GM and, and he he helped build two rosters that made it to Super Bowls. Don't forget that. The two thousand the two thousand three team that went to Super Bowl, he basically built that one himself and then the one that uh went in two thousand fifteen, while he wasn't here then, he was a guy that laid the foundation and most of the key players in that season came from his drafts or, or, or pickups.
0: That's spring that's president. Let's get a couple updates on some of the Panthers right now. A couple of quick hitters. Christian McCaffrey. We're going to see him Sunday. <laughs> Good question. Uh, we know that too. I, I think he'll probably play.
1: Uh, I, we'll still wait and see if he, how he makes it through practices because we thought he would play three weeks ago, and then his uh, his quad that he had actually tweaked during the bye week when he was just working out to come back that was aggravated. So I think he'll play. He wants to play. Matt, Matt rule wants to win some games and he gives him the best chance.
0: What's Teddy Bridgewater been like this year as as far as a player? I mean, it looks like there's some, some ups, some downs. Hey, he's, he's a real likable
1: guy. I mean, the go from Cam Newton to him has been pretty drastic to be honest. Uh, But I, he does a lot of things really well. His, His leadership is unbelievable. Um, I think he plays R. He's probably underrated as a running quarterback a little bit because he's made some spectacular runs at times this year. But what he hasn't done is is found a way to win games at the end. He's 0-8 in games this year where he, he's had the ball in his hands in the, his final drive with a chance to win or tie. And ultimately, he's, that's what quarterbacks are going to be judged on, that how they bring a team back and, and win in the clutch situations. Um, And you go back through history from Elway to Montana, you know, all the greats. They won games like that in the final minutes. So he hasn't done that. So I think that they're probably looking at, hey, we'll give him another chance to start out next season. But if if we're in the top five in the draft, which they're probably going to be, we'll probably take a quarterback.
0: Um, Brian Burns, and he's a guy that I really coming out of the draft a couple of years ago. And I remember we had a redraft for ESPN, and I think yeah. I ended up taking Brian Burns, and you took Montez Sweat. I think we're both doing okay there. So, what, yeah, what, I, what what's what's Burns been like? He's, his numbers are really good.
1: He, they are, and I mean, he he was drafted to be a three-four outside linebacker by Ron, and you know Matt Rule came in, and Phil Snow, the defensive coordinator, switched over the four-three. He's played a lot of. Three four four three and even three three five that you'll probably see a lot to try to confuse them um, and Brian's a guy that can play both spots and, and do it well is he, he's not going to be a guy like Julius Peppers that could just line up and dominate you on the end but he's got so much more quickness and and his bendability is unbelievable and he thinks he's Spider Man and his Spidey moves are pretty impressive and so you know if they do get to your quarterback just watch him after the after the sack. Because watching the, he, he looks like Spider Man. I mean, it's just it's really impressive.
0: And then you know Matt Rule's first year, and and you brought up the um, close losses, and then Ron Rivera brought up that too. And I look at these teams in the records; they've both fallen behind by double digits a lot. These guys have been able to close, you know, get back and win a few of those games. Carolina has not. What is Rule's influence, and why? And you brought up Teddy, but what is what's the other? What are some of the other reasons why they can't close as a team? They've made some just. I have to
1: blame someone on coaching. I mean, I think the Minnesota game, um, they weren't really sure the ball was back in play and they didn't get the play into Teddy Bridgewater down near the goal line in time. And Teddy didn't have time to look at the defense. He says he would have audible out of that play and it was still wide open. He missed him, uh, but he had to rush it. Everything was rushed to the line. So that was an example. I, I disagreed with the call last week, the, yeah, I know way. Matt Rule said he, he doesn't want his quarterback reaching over the top there, but it, the way they're running, you know, they'd they run the ball pretty well. And, you know, Mike Davis had really been strong running it. So I thought they probably should have given him at least one shot down there at the goal line um, instead of doing that on first down. And uh, they just had a few other game mismanagement situations down there. And, and Teddy does blame too. He's thrown a couple interceptions. uh have been under duress too. So I've uh, been not the same thing every week. That's when what's different. I remember Ron, I'm thinking back to which season it was, but they had the same situation where it might have been 2012 or 13, where they had a lot of close games that they just couldn't pull out. And I remember he came in I think that's all going to even out. And I think it did the next year.
0: Well, I think Washington fans will be happy if it evens out next year for the Panthers as well, and not Sunday, because this team has a chance to win the division. I think they'd like to celebrate that. David, thanks a lot for coming on. Insight is always great. Thank you very much.
1: Appreciate it, John.
0: You've heard me talking about Lone Oak Coffee for a couple months now. Let me tell you a little bit about who they are and what they're about. Lone Oak Coffee is based in the Shenandoah Valley. Just a nice bunch of people who are open for business during this trying time. Just look at their website, loneoakcoffee.com, and what do they highlight? Their core values of quality, family, transparency. They work with co-op farmers from all over the world to source their beans. They also support small farmers to find the right beans. During this pandemic, one of my saving graces has been grinding my beans from Lone Oak Coffee and taking a few minutes before the day to savor the coffee, get my mind right. Put a little Jazz or Frank Sinatra or Louis Armstrong on in the background, it's even better. I've enjoyed all their blends, but among my favorites, the Ethiopian Guji, love the berry flavor, the Mexican Chiapas, and their house blend. Start your day off right with Lone Oak Coffee. Visit loneoakcoffee.com, that's L-O-N-E oakcoffee.com. Use promo code Coffee2020 for a discount. You can thank me later. That's it for this episode. Thanks to David for joining me, and thank you for sticking with the show during the season. Also, as always, thank you to Lono Coffee. Have a Merry Christmas and Happy Holiday, everyone. I hope you're able to find gratitude and blessings during the season, even in a year such as this. Because it is a holiday week, this will be the last podcast for this week. It's a big game Sunday. Talk to you then.